Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Silent Breed is people! Hoo-ah. Oh, mercy. Is this the end of Rico? This is the business of film. I'm Simon Rose, and James Cameron Wilson is telling us what's been going on. James and I were both away on holiday last week, so we have two weeks to catch up on. Not that we're going to do... I don't think we should do two charts. I can, if you like, but... No, no, it's fine. It's we'll fine. just focus on last weekend yeah. and sort of catch up. And, uh, well, last weekend was down 16.4% from the previous weekend, which itself was down 16.5% from the weekend that we talked about previously, which had gone down. Mm. It's looking like a bloodbath. But more alarmingly still, last weekend was down 16.9%. That's 17% almost from this time last year. I can't even remember if this time last year was ordinary or if lots of cinemas were closed. No, I think it was fairly ordinary. So it's not looking good. And a lot of people are decrying the lack of big new blockbusters because they weren't making them two years ago. Including also the people who run Blockbuster. Uh, Oh, sorry. I don't mean Blockbuster at all. I mean Cineworld. Sorry. Well, yes, Blockbuster was a VHS yes. which yes. no longer exists. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, Cineworld obviously is in dire straits and views not looking great. It's it's all looking rather grim, I have to say. And there's only one new film that's managed to make more than a million, which is the first time in four weeks that a new film has made more than a million over the weekend, the last one being Nope from Jordan Peele. Mm, mm. So it's looking pretty bloody, I have to say, out there. And I think it's not helping the cost of living because although it's much cheaper than going to the theatre, people are having to make cutbacks. Mm. I, I don't think people can blame COVID anymore. Mm. Anyway, we do have a, a new film at number one called See How They Run. Now, I'm sure you remember... Simon, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I do. You've seen it? Ye- yes, yes. I'm just wondering how this is going to connect with <laughs> what I've well, heard about. I, I both... remember the Ray Cooney fast, see how they run as well. I'm sure to know what it's... Anyway, yes, go on, James. I'm sorry. Well, in both three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and in See How They Run, Sam Rockwell, who won an Oscar for the former, plays an alcoholic, unconventional police officer in see how they run he plays another alcoholic police officer but the part could not be more different not least because inspector stoppard is english Hmm. stoppard who knows nothing about the theater is investigating the murder of a movie director who was killed with a ski 
and a sewing machine backstage at the Ambassador's Theatre, which is showing The Mousetrap. The year is 1953, and the play is celebrating its, can you believe, 100th performance. <laughs> right. Much to the surprise of everybody, including its star, Richard Attenborough, who immediately becomes a murder suspect. See how they run, not to be confused with Philip King's long-running play of the same name. Oh, it's nothing to do with that? No. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Well, that's why I was so confused. Okay. Yeah. It's a playful affair mixing fact with fiction. The joke is that Agatha Christie's play, whose film rights have been bought by John Wolfe, played by Reese Shearsmith in the film, can only be turned into a movie after its initial West End run. But see how they run, being a whodunit about a whodunit, is as close to a film version as the cinema can achieve at the moment, as the mousetrap enters its 70th year, with John Wolfe being dead for the last 23 years. <laughs> Harris Dickinson, who we last saw playing an aggressive redneck in Where the Crawdads Sing, plays Dickie, written Attenborough to the rest of the public, and David O'Yellowo is a sort of black Noel Coward. So there are plenty of characters with various homicidal motives. The victim is a Hollywood director played by Adrian Brody, who has been signed up to direct the film version of The Mousetrap, but only after it has completed its initial West End run. They needn't have bothered killing him, as he would have died of old age before a single camera had turned. So here we have a film about a play that is not allowed to have a film made of it with the original characters acted out, uh, acting their parts mm, out on, mm. on the stage while Adrian Brody narrates the whole thing from beyond the grave in the tradition of Sunset Boulevard. There is much to amuse here on a number of levels, but I suspect those versed in the world of the London theatre and indeed the whodunit will get the most pleasure from it. I chuckled merrily throughout, not just at the in-jokes, but the absurdities throughout, such as Attenborough asking if he could borrow Inspector Stoppard's limp for his part <laughs> in the mousetrap, <laughs> a hobble left over from the Second World War. That sounded a bit lovey. <laughs> yeah, well, the character of Stoppard is an interesting mix of the bittersweet, at once a pathetic figure, he is a divorcee driven to drink by his wife's unfaithfulness uh, and the comic. But the funniest character of all is Stoppard's assistant, Constable Stalker, a young mother of two who is as eager as he is shop-worn. It's a comic mix, particularly as Stoppard largely ignores her for most of the time as she scribbles everything down in her notebook while constantly jumping to the most obvious conclusion. She's also incredibly starstruck and cannot understand how her colleague hasn't heard of Richard Attenborough. The fact that she is played by Saoirse Ronan is another plus, as it reveals yet another string to the actress's bow, a knack for comic timing. I should add that while this is an American film, top billing three Hollywood stars, it marks the feature directorial debut of Tom George, until now best known for the mockumentary sitcom This Country, starring and written by the sister and brother Daisy May Cooper and Charlie Cooper, 
set in Sarancester, which is just 15 minutes from here. Uh, the latter, uh, Charlie Cooper, actually co-stars in See How They Run as an usher at the Ambassador's Theatre with remarkably underdeveloped observational skills. But Saoirse Ronan, wow. I remember first noting her 15 years ago in I Could Never Be Your Woman, where she played Michelle Pfeiffer's very savvy streetwise daughter. And she's just gone from strength to strength. And she's so funny in this. And this time she actually has her original Irish accent, which kind of makes it funny. But there's a scene where she's trying to... People don't really take her seriously because she's a woman, of course, and this is 1953. So she has to bribe one of the policemen to tell her who he was talking to with a tin of biscuits. And she, she gives him one biscuit and then she takes the tin away and then she gives him another biscuit. And you're so used to people just handing over $100 bills. <laughs> um, it's very homemade, very homegrown. And I just thought it was a hoot. And nothing to do, as you say, with the long-running play of and the same name. You obviously have a great interest in theatricals anyway, James, I know. Um, were other people laughing as well? Uh, yeah, they were, they were chuckling along. But I think I was so involved in it, I wasn't actually aware of the audience. I was so caught up oh, in the shenanigans of, of it going on. Interesting. OK, so that's the so new that's very number one. How, how much did it take again? You said over a million. but It, it did. It made £1.2 million. Pounds. Right. Okay, so Ram, where do we go now? Up. Well, we have another new film at number two, Tad, The Lost Explorer and the Curse of the Mummy, which made £818,000, which, as you probably presume, is a follow-up to Tad, The Lost Explorer, and Tad, The Lost Explorer and the Secret of King Midas. Tad being a clumsy archaeologist whose adventures take him to Mexico and Paris on this occasion in this animated Spanish sequel i haven't seen tad the lost explorer or indeed the tad the lost explorer and the secret of king Midas. so what are we now tad three is that this this, this is tad, tad the lost explorer three yes because i don't know where i'm typing all that out when i come to write up what we're, what we're doing i'm sorry just i i mean yeah i haven't seen them either but i used to have a rule that the longer the title the worse the film was likely to be ah um, well, it's funny you should say that because at number three we've got oh. a very short title it Jaws. doesn't always work the other way Jaws. Jaws is at number the, three. The Jaws? Yeah. How well, what I... else is there to show? <laughs> well, it... I wonder what modern audiences would make as I know they've redone scenes involving the shark in the past, but it's still, even when I saw that, it still looked pretty rubbery. Well, yeah, but it's such a beautifully made film. And yes. It is such a cultural informant now. I mean, so many of the scenes and the lines of dialogue mm -hmm. have sort of seeped into the cultural consciousness. And it yes. made 524,000 quid. And it's great that people can still go along and be scared by that classic, which put Steven Spielberg on the map. At number yes. four, we've got Brahmamastra Part One, Shiva, which right. is a very long, very, very long, almost three hour action adventure fantasy from India which gives you an idea that there's nothing to fill the top 10. So we've got old films, we've got Indian films, mm. and at number five, we've got Minions, The Rise of Gru, which was at number one the week that we were away, uh, um, right. sunning it. Well, I was sunning it. You, That's you been know. out for weeks as well. Well, indeed. Uh, it's down 64% with a total of 44.8 million. We've got a new film at seven, 
Bodies, 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 which is a black comedy stroke horror film starring Amanda Stenberg. I have seen Maria. a trailer for that. I couldn't decide whether I want to see it or not. I suspected from the trailer that it might not be great. but I think it got pretty generous reviews. Uh, Maria Bakalova is in it as well, who, of course, was nominated for an Oscar for the second Borat film. Uh, number eight, we've got Bullet Train, which was at number four from David Leach, down 38%. So that's holding on pretty well for a total of 9.8 million. At number nine, we've got Top Gun Maverick, which last weekend was at number three, mm -hmm. down 48%, for a total of £82.2 million sterling, which makes it the ninth highest grossing film in history in the United Kingdom and Ireland. And I suspect this time next week, it will be number eight, having overtaken Star Wars The Last Jedi. And at 10, we have Nope, which was at number six, down 50%, with a total of 7.4. And because we, I wasn't able to review it last weekend, I would like to cover a film. I don't know, before or after the break. I think let's, let's have a, uh, a break, if that's okay, James. Um, but we'll be back in a moment, and you can cover it then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Share Radio. We're discussing the business of film. I'm Simon Rose, and James Cameron Wilson is talking about what's been happening in the box office chart. So, James, which film were you wanting to review? Well, it was at 10 two weeks ago, but it's now dropped to number 18. And this is a film called 3,000 Years of Longing. Uh, and it's new. It's the new film from the director of 40,000 Years of Dreaming, but who is probably better known for his Ford 4 Mad Max movies. We are talking about George Miller, who also wrote and produced Babe and directed films like The Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil and Happy Feet and its sequel. What all these films have in common is an extraordinary visual approach. And if at all possible, 3,000 Years of Longing has an even more sumptuous look where the CGI really is elevated to an art form. And yet the film is primarily about storytelling in all its many forms. Tilda Swinton stars as a narratologist who makes a handsome living travelling the world and giving talks on the myths that have formed our civilization from the ancient tales of Greece and Rome and Scandinavia, right up to the modern myths of DC Comics and Marvel. Mm -hmm. But as narrator of the film we are watching, she tells it that this, her story, is true. It's adapted from the short story The Jinn in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Bayat. Uh, it follows Alethea to Istanbul, where... In the 4,000 shops in the city, she alights on a particular boutique. And there, in a 
back room, she comes across a uniquely shaped blue bottle that, although flawed, takes her fancy. And then back at her hotel room, as she's cleaning it, she releases a jinn or genie mm -hmm. in the form of Idris Elba. Far from feeling frightened, she is fascinated by this manifestation and speaks Turkish to the intruder in her room, who offers to grant her three wishes. He also tells her his life story, as he has been locked away for 3,000 years, stories that recount his time as the lover of the Queen of Sheba, whose jealous suitor, Solomon, had him incarcerated in a bottle. And so the film glides in and out of ancient realms, including fantastical creatures, harems of obese beauties and childhood obsessions, brimming with profound observations, and a playful narrative air. Because it is also stunningly realised, I was completely hooked, but it is also episodic. And for a film about storytelling, I felt it lacked a vital momentum and emotional engagement, narratively wanting, so to speak. And I think there are people who love it. I know it's been a real labour of love and passion for George Miller, and he's taken something like 20 years to realise it. And it's done really badly, which is sad. And I don't think the critics have embraced it either. Yeah. But I think Tilda Swinton is always worthwhile watching. Uh, incidentally, for all its fantastical loops into the past, the film feels very modern, particularly as so many extras are wearing protective face masks. Oh, okay. So, and, what, and what number in the chart was that? I lost track. 18. 18. 18 now. But it's interesting. I saw another film uh, this week called Both Sides of the Blade, where everybody was wearing face masks. And mm -hmm. this is interesting now that some films are beginning to recognise COVID-19. Yes, except, of course, in most places now that will look dated. Well, but what's happening next year, Simon? I don't know. Well, of course, this is set in Istanbul, so everybody in the audience are wearing fa face masks. How is COVID faring in Turkey? That I don't know at the moment. Well, yeah. I, it's Most just places have got rid of face masks. Well, it's an interesting observation uh, that two films I've seen within the space of 10 mm -hmm. days uh, a lot of the background people are wearing face masks because, for the most part, films have been ignoring yes, that aspect. Yes of the pandemic yes anyway so, that where that, now that is at number 18 at number 22 i'd like to talk about something because it is a box office phenomenon okay it's called prima facie oh it's yes the highest it is now the highest grossing event cinema release of all time in the uk and in ireland but for my break i did finally get round to seeing it this is the one-woman show starring yeah. Jodie Comer. Yes. The first thing that struck me was how full the cinema was. Particularly, well, I, I've, I, I, All I hear from people, I still haven't been, because I know it's going to be quite a gruelling watch, but I have, not, I have not heard of a film in a long time where everybody is saying you must go and see it. Mm -hmm. And this is for a film, which, which, to begin with, was, was one night only, wasn't it? it was, yeah, yeah. And know, it's now, it this was the back. eighth, when I saw it, it's the eighth week, so it's now in its tenth week. Uh, that the film has been unspooling in cinemas. And I have a confession to make. 
This was the first time I had ever gone to the cinema to see anything other than a movie. And Really? I, oh, that is quite extraordinary. Well, I am now a convert. Much as I love the theatre, there are three major drawbacks. The view, yep. the inability to hear the dialogue, yep. and the cost. Yes. Now, with the play, prima facie, blown up onto the big screen, that eradicates the first two issues, while the cost is a fraction of what you would pay. Last week, I tried to book a seat to see Cabaret at the Playhouse in London, and the price of a seat in the dress circle was £186. Hmm. While the stalls cost £310 with a £1.40 order fee, just in case you decided to order your ticket. Yeah. I was quite happy to pay the £310, but I wasn't prepared to order it, not at that additional kick in the teeth. Hmm. So, prima facie, well, I think it was one of the most exciting evenings I've had in the cinema, certainly this year. It's a one-woman show written by the Anglo-Australian playwright Susie Miller, and Jodie Comer plays a criminal defence barrister. There is a story, so it's not my place to tell you what the story is, but wow, besides the physical stamina needed to sustain that level of oration with its physical movement, pitches in drama and comedy, and emotional drive, the feat of learning is phenomenal. She's not just out there telling jokes or dishing out anecdotes. She is recreating a written text. Yes, and, um, it's, a, and it's a film of her performance in theatre, isn't it? Whereas if it would be made as a film, of course, it'd shoot small, short scenes at a time. Well, yeah, yeah. And she really brings it alive, all on her own. From the early moments when her character, Tessa, tells us that she is taught never to assume you are telling yourself the truth as there is only a legal truth, to the closing moments when the camera zooms into her tear-streaked cheeks, she never lets up. Quite frankly, I can't remember when I've seen such an engaging and demanding performance on stage, mm. like ever, and I, I'm a huge theatre buff. But then, yes. of course, you've got the advantage of the camera being in her face. Yes. I've, I've been a few times to, to these theatre live things. The last time I went, I had gone to see Anything Goes at the Barbican. A friend said, well, you really should have seen the first cast. And we went to see the first cast. And as you say, it was as if we'd bought the most expensive seat in the house. In fact, better than most, because you saw everything in exactly the right position. You could hear what was being done. And yet the energy of being in the theatre was still communicated. It was very exciting and much, much cheaper. However, I have to say the first time I ever did, it was one man, two governors, and the sound was out of sync. And that was very irritating. Ooh, ooh, yep. yes. But it made me go to the theatre to see it, which yeah, was quite yeah. interesting. Obviously, the theatre's got a balance um, whether people will still go to the theatre. But Prima, Prima Facie, I think, is still on the theatre as well. So that's the extraordinary thing, is that they're not actually undermining the theatre audience. I, 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 I may be think, wrong. It may have finished. I it may have think, finished by now. No, I think okay. it has oh, okay. finished. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so, sorry. Any, anything Goes was, came back again. So that's, it is extraordinary. It doesn't seem to be undermining the theatres. No, the theatres are doing that on their it, own with their prices. I, I do recommend it, and it's still out there. I think you can still find it at select venues. I will have a look. Maybe I should go there, James. Yeah, I think you should try and go out of your way. Now, okay. I don't know how much time. We've got a little bit of time. Okay. Well, I did manage to catch the new 
uh, Rafe, five. Oh, can I just ask? So where was Prima Facie in the chart? Um, hang on. It was at last week. It was at 22. 22. So there's a bit lower because it was in the top 10 the first time they did it, wasn't it? But still yeah, going. It is now the okay. highest grossing event cinema release of all time. Okay. In, in Thank this you, Joe. Thank and you, one below the next rung down is a film called The Forgiven, which I managed to see before I went to France. And it's directed John by John Michael McDonough, who did The Guard. And oh, yes. Calvary. Yes. And it's got, I mean, Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite actors. Jessica Chastain is probably my favorite actress, fighting to the top with Kate Blanchett. And it's always great to see them. And this is a very intelligent, very grown-up film based on uh, the novel by Matthew Osborne? Uh, Lawrence Osborne, sorry. Lawrence Osborne's book of 2012. And it comes with both the virtues and the failings of being an adaptation. It looks stunning. To, uh, it's set in Morocco, and it's about a couple who go to a weekend party held by Matt Smith's very camp dilettante and Ray Fiennes plays a Chelsea Society doctor who is an alcoholic basically and he hits a Berber boy and it's about him coming to terms whether or not he can forgive himself and it's about the West and the last dregs of colonialism in Morocco and how they treat the Arab culture. I was gripped throughout I have to say I, I think it was a really intelligent film um and it's always rewarding to watch fine actors play such complex, defective characters. Uh, I I think, as I say, the literary shackles do remain and there is a certain amount of dramatic restraint. But I love just love the dialogue and it's, it's not a great film. It was slightly disappointing after seeing The Guard and Calvary. Both of which I liked enormously. Uh, yes. Yeah. And th- he then went on to direct War on Everyone which I, I quite enjoyed with Jonah, Jonah Hill and Alexander Skarsgård. And this is, I think, his fourth feature. But it looks amazing. And there's a lot to deal with. I just wasn't as emotionally engaged. But that didn't matter because I was intellectually engaged. OK, and that is The, the Forgiven. It uh, is. Thank you, James. We've managed to catch up. Um, seems an eventful time, even if... It's rather worrying when a, a, a film with Jessica Chastain and Ray Fiennes is at number 23 in the chart. Um, I, I know, it's like... very sad. It's, it's, a, it's a grown-up movie. It's not a sort of popcorn yeah. blockbuster. Yeah. Have we got a time but then, to... But then Prima Facie is as well, which, of course, you know, is, as you say, is the highest grossing movie Well, I movie always ever. called it Prima Facie until I saw it and realised it's Prima Facie. Oh, is it? Okay, well, yeah. I'll try and remember that for next for, time. For James, sadly, we are out of time, um, but we will have more business of film at the same time next week. So, James, thank you very much. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Is it safe? We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Nobody puts baby in a corner.